Welcome back to Propel, Allen and Overy's podcast addressing all things related to self-driving vehicles. Today, we are joined by Lando Juarez, Legal Director, Autonomous Mobility and Delivery, and Head of Legal for AVs at Uber. He previously led the legal team for Uber ATG, Uber's 1,500-person division that focused on the development of autonomous vehicles, which was recently sold to Aurora in January of 2021 in a transaction that valued the combined company at $10 billion. Before that, he was an executive and lawyer at General Motors for product development at a time when that company was bringing early autonomous and electric vehicles to market. Lando joins us today to talk about Uber's future in the self-driving space and the unique position it holds in this evolving industry. Lando, thanks for joining us on the program. Thanks for having me on, Paul. Uh, you know, it, it bears mentioning, you and I go back a bit. We met over 15 years ago when we were both practicing as junior lawyers and we did some work together. It's really nice to come full circle and talk about autonomous vehicles today. It's something that's become really near and dear to both of us a bigger part of my practice, obviously, as an in-house practitioner in this space, and yours too, uh, at the law firm. And, you know, I really love what you put together with this podcast. It's been fun to connect today on a couple of things before we even started recording. And now that we're live and rolling, um, just talking about the role that transportation and logistics platforms, and Uber in particular, can play in accelerating the introduction of autonomous vehicles to people and to cities and to markets that can really benefit from the technology. It's fun to have the opportunity to talk to you today. It's great to have you on, Lando, and it is hard to believe it was some time ago, uh, not only for our for our own ages and professional careers, but frankly, all the stuff that's happened in the space. And so really appreciate you doing the program and those kind words and giving us your insights today and what a lot of people are very excited about uh, and certainly the, the evolving uh, history, not only of the space, but of Uber itself. Now let's talk about that. You know, Uber and ATG have gone through some pretty significant changes across their lifespan. Care to summarize that journey from beginning to present for our listeners? Yeah, of course I can. And, you know, I'm happy to set the table a bit, give you my perspective, even if so much of it was laid before my time. This really clear overlap between the impetus between starting a company like Uber and autonomous vehicles. Uh, that's one of this generation's engineering moonshots. And really simply, both Uber and AVs at their core, they're about moving the world in new and exciting ways and increasing transportation supply and access for everyone. Both are really exciting missions and both have an opportunity to make an impact on the world. And doing what I'm doing today, I'm fortunate to have an opportunity to work on both at once. You know, I know a little bit of history goes a long way here, so I'm happy to give it a shot. Let's go back maybe a little bit to the beginning because Uber and autonomous vehicles, they were both born of this idea that disrupting traditional modes of transportation had this capacity to change everything, change the world. And with Uber, that idea was that an app could connect riders and drivers at the push of a button and make ride hailing easy. And it's hard to believe, but it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have Uber, this really efficient platform and marketplace. And since then, getting a ride has become so easy that it can provide freedom for vehicle ownership, not just in urban areas, but in suburban areas. And it provides things like choice and speed and accessibility. They're real game changers for places that used to be transportation deserts or in communities that were underserved by traditional transportation options. So Uber's branched out into delivery of prepared foods and grocery and pharmaceuticals, and it works to connect customers with so many other services and modes of local transportation. You know, we say that it helps you go anywhere that you'd like or get anything that you'd like to get in your local community. And that's, it's not unlike micromobility and mass transit and this whole ecosystem of things that are developing to move you and the things that you need to move locally. Um, and we've really integrated that into one technology platform. 
Uber story, I think it could take up our entire time here. It's been an interesting ride and, and there's so many twists and turns there that even I can't tell the whole story. I'm just excited to be a part of it. From the beginning, the idea and the excitement of ATG was born out of this possibility of offering self-driving vehicles on the Uber network. So take the world's largest demand aggregator, this app that the world turns to for moving themselves or moving goods locally, and just unlock the possibility of adding autonomous vehicle supply into that fold. And introducing autonomous vehicles in the ride hailing context was considered to be a natural fit for making the best business case for investing in autonomous vehicles. Because as we all know, there's all of this technology it takes to make an AV, the base vehicle, the electrical architectures, you know, it takes serious power to run the computers that power self-driving, the complex sensor suites that are comprised of cameras, radar and LIDAR and computing and graphical processing, all of these things necessary to decode the environment around the vehicle. And that's just an incredibly expensive endeavor. And level four autonomy and level five autonomy vehicles, they're highly unlikely to be introduced as retail sale vehicles in the first use case. They're just too expensive. So to rationalize that expense from a business model perspective, maximizing a vehicle's revenue opportunity, maximizing its utilization, it's time on trip, it's time making money to offset this really outsized capital cost. You need to give AVs a platform as large as Uber uh, to move the world and increase things like transportation supply, get everybody on board with using this really interesting method of transportation. And doing that, I think, really makes a great business case. And it seems like a worthy mission with a really positive real world impact, as we mentioned earlier. So back to ATG, Uber originally brought on a really talented team of roboticists and engineers that came out of Carnegie Mellon. They formed the Uber Advanced Technology Center in Pittsburgh and ultimately became known as Uber ATG. And they built an extraordinary team over the years, 1,500 people across the company from the headquarters in Pittsburgh to engineering and product teams in San Francisco to Toronto, where we had a really unique team focused on R&D and simulation expertise, to a maps and labelings team in Denver. And ATG ran pilots and offered rides in Pittsburgh and Arizona and did testing in San Francisco and Toronto and Washington, DC. We partnered with Volvo to develop custom-built SUVs and developed multiple generations of our hardware kit. We raised outside funding, a billion dollars in 2019 from partners in Toyota, the largest automaker in the world and component supplier Denso, which is really close to Toyota and SoftBank. And there were milestones every year and also some well-known setbacks that refocused and galvanized our company. But like others across the industry understand, nearly everybody in the autonomous vehicle space will tell you that operating at scale is a colossal challenge. You know, all of those early significant advancements gave hope to scaling and commercialization of self-driving vehicles, but really what it takes is partnership and talent and funding and runway. All of these things that are critical in meeting this marathon challenge of operating self-driving vehicles or autonomous vehicles at scale. Ultimately, Uber decided that the best path forward was to partner with another formidable player in the space in Aurora. And we sold ATG to Aurora and we consolidated the entire operation under the Aurora umbrella. And we remain an investor and we're really excited for the outcome. All fascinating. Lando, thank you for walking us through that. The Aurora acquisition of Uber ATG, what does that mean for the autonomous vehicle vision that Uber has? It's a good question because Aurora's acquisition of ATG, it really creates one of the most formidable entities in the AV landscape. In one big step, the combination brought together people and technologies that would have taken years to assemble at a separate pace. And Aurora 
given all this talent that they have and the experience that they're acquiring from ATG, the two companies can go farther together. And accelerating our combined mission to deliver self-driving technology safely and quickly and broadly, the combined team at Aurora is truly poised to do something special there. And like I said, we remain an investor after contributing our assets and capital to the business as part of the transaction earlier this year. But as ATG knew and as Aurora and scores of other companies developing autonomous vehicles know, regardless of their business model, whether that's creating and operating their own fleets or licensing a driver or their tech stack to, to OEMs or other fleet owners, this is capital intensive. It's a hardware intensive business. And most importantly, it's a business. And that's where Uber has a massive value proposition for the AV industry at large. This advantage that sets us apart from traditional AV developers. Well, let's talk a little bit more about that and the advantages that Uber has. And maybe it'd be helpful to kind of understand or, or maybe compare Uber to a traditional self-driving vehicle developer. You know, what are the differences between the two, the advantages that you see there for Uber? Well, an AV developer is developing its own automated driving system. Right. It's what Uber ATG did. It's what Aurora, Waymo and Cruz and a host of others are doing. It's engineering intensive you know, from writing the base vehicle code that powers autonomy features to simulating the many, many road scenarios and human behaviors that a vehicle must solve in order to, to operate safely on public roads. And systems engineering, safety professionals, set standards and validation criteria for performance. It's hardware and supply chain intensive, acquiring and assembling all the base vehicles and vehicle components that we discussed earlier. And it's operations teams that oversee safe on-road testing and testing on private tracks. And their tech tends to end up on their own fleet if they intend to operate a fleet of vehicles offering AV services. Or they license their tech to second parties, to third parties. Or they sell their self-driving hardware kit if they plan to sell that software or hardware combination to an OEM or to another kind of fleet owner or operator. And perhaps most importantly, an AV developer's product timeline is really dynamic and highly dependent on the advancements and setbacks, this two-step forward, one-step back that everyone in the industry is tackling. Uber, to kind of distinguish the two, Uber is a technology platform responsible for connecting customers with autonomous mobility and delivery services. Its customers exist on both sides of a marketplace. You have riders, and drivers, and you have eaters, and restaurants or grocery stores, shippers and businesses, and ultimately you have AV fleet partners that get introduced to the fold. And the Uber platform, it's an asset like business, and a core component of our journey into offering AVs on the network is engaging and partnering with numerous AV developers and fleet owners to create the best business dynamics for a marketplace. You know, a hybrid network that intelligently and gradually and safely integrates AV supply with traditional human drivers and carriers over time. I think AV developers, Aurora, where we're an investor, Waymo, Motional, Neuro as a dedicated platform for delivery, they're entering this market and they're all offering their tech in various stages of readiness. But Uber has this really powerful platform. It's the world's largest demand aggregator for rides and delivery services, and we think it will be highly attractive to potential partners. And that's because running an AV fleet is capital intensive and Uber is in this position to help partners maximize vehicle utilization and their revenue opportunities and dispatch their vehicles across rides and, and our many delivery verticals. So, you know, imagine keeping this really expensive piece of machinery booked seamlessly from ride to ride to delivery to delivery during the course of a day. And, you know, if it's an electric vehicle, ultimately routing it back 
to its nearest charging station for a charge before it goes back out again. And Uber offers this really impressive infrastructure from lead generation to pricing to dispatch that can take autonomous vehicles to market at the pace of the market. It allows Uber to index to leaders in readiness or safety or consumer trust so that when our partners are ready, so are we. And if we do it right, we become this really vital partner for the industry and we connect our customers with the world's largest and most capable AV network. You just mentioned there in that answer that if you get it right in creating this network to support that infrastructure, um, walk me through how Uber is better positioned in your mind to do that better than someone else. One thing that's incredibly important to note for the foreseeable future, AVs, they'll only operate in limited domains. And that means road networks and conditions that developers solve through a combination of self-driving tech and maps. And most AV developers are solving only one urban core at a time. And with limited exceptions, they're focused mostly on rides because they don't have the wealth of delivery offerings that Uber does. And we all know that delivery, especially in the last year and given the pandemic, delivery has really turned on its head, this notion of delivery as an early option for autonomy. And so some platforms like Neuro, they're doing a terrific job of being delivery focused. And we know a number of other people are thinking along the same lines. But when you think of this limited road network, it's this small core of streets that a developer solves when they release a, a minimum viable product in a city. So when a Waymo or a Cruise or a Motional creates a front end app for ride hailing in Arizona or San Francisco or Las Vegas, they can only dispatch trips in the areas that they've solved. So their customers can't be picked up or dropped off or receive deliveries outside of that area or when it's raining or, or too inclement for the sensors to work or if the latest software is undergoing an update. And that limits revenue opportunities for the company and it limits customer choice. And frankly, it's, it's not the best customer experience. That's because to make a rise or, or delivery product sticky, you know, to create a real sustainable business, you have to ensure that 100% of the time when you make a ride request or 100% of the time when you request a delivery on a network, it arrives. If you're the customer, if you open an app for a particular ride or delivery request and you're outside of an autonomous vehicle service area, you can't get that ride or that service that you're expecting and you shut down the app and you go somewhere else. And if that happens enough times, studies have shown that once or twice can be enough you don't go back to that app any longer. And that's where Uber and its hybrid network come to the rescue, you know, with a human driver or a courier servicing all the requests that an AV can. We unlock this model for Uber's customers and for our partners, not by operating our own fleet, but by engaging our partners and interweaving their many road networks into a reliable and capable product. And that allows us to become a real accelerator for bringing this technology to the world while making it make sense for customers and communities and our partners. And really this will take partnership to get it right. I wanna underscore that, Paul. I think it's really important both for our customers and for our partners and for your listeners to understand. And that's whether it means developers and OEMs who are creating safe and capable tech, or it's this collaboration between developers and platforms like Uber, making a customer centric product that makes good business sense and allows for intelligent expansion as the technology grows, or it's partnership with cities and communities and the people that will use and ultimately benefit from autonomous vehicles. If a core goal is to make streets safer and provide greater access to transportation options for communities, we'll first need to educate and earn the trust of and listen to the needs of those communities and customers so that this technology really serves the intended audience. And that'll allow us to serve as advocates for customers as we make their lives safer and easier. So this really is about partnership in the round. And we've heard our peers and potential partners in the AV space talk about these same principles 
whether that's Waymo or Cruise or Mobileye or, or Emotional, these are all foundational reasons that these companies came into existence, serving customers, making lives safer and easier um, and making road transportation safer and easier. And the value of partnership working together to accomplish a long vision like this, it, it can't be understated. That long vision is impressive. Uh, we appreciate you walking through that uh, for us. There's certainly a lot to consider there and a lot of big issues to chew on. Focusing on maybe the more short term, are there particular market opportunities that you see for Uber and that Uber is actually focusing on? Not, not so much the long-term vision that you're talking about full AVs uh, that are running around our streets, but maybe in the shorter term before we get there. Yeah, there's a lot of earth move before we get to the, to the long vision. But in the near term, Lyft has announced partnerships and timelines in the U.S. You probably heard the recent news that they sold off, like Uber did, sold off their autonomous vehicle development group, their internal development effort, and are instead focused on being a platform. And Didi in China is another large platform heavily committed to partnering with AV fleets in China, where the government and industry are really partnered together in bringing AVs to market, and their business is expanding to Western Europe and beyond. So first, there's some table stakes that mobility and delivery platforms will need to build to appeal to AV partners to become partners of choice. One is offering a hybrid network, and that's integrating the tech seamlessly with human drivers, as I mentioned. Another is creating a platform that allows partners to gather their own data and key insights into profitable routes and road capabilities that AVs have to solve to unlock them. And that differs from market to market. Data truly may become the table stakes it takes to entice partners and to demonstrate a value proposition for them in being on a platform. And that's because knowing which routes and exactly which routes are necessary to run a profitable AV fleet is a huge accelerant for making business decisions and for developing autonomy capabilities or vehicle features that can capably handle those routes. So data in this space is going to be very, very valuable. And, and you know, I guess in-cabin experience is going to be a pretty important place from a passenger engagement or experience standpoint. Customization opportunities are really exciting. I know you've had some guests on this podcast discussing branding in this space, for example, but differentiating in-cabin experience is going to be huge in customer experience across the entire product flow. Another, which some rideshare platforms have discussed, including Lyft, is this possibility of fleet management. And that means doing all of the field work necessary to keep a fleet running from cleaning and charging and repairing and maintaining a fleet so its vehicles have the most uptime or have them the best cost per mile. If a platform can offer you the best cost per mile and the best revenue per mile, for example, that's a really powerful partner. As the industry grows long-term, it's not likely to be just AV companies or OEMs that own their own fleets. We're probably going to see something like the autonomous vehicle equivalent of REITs pop up really well-capitalized investment fleets that are all about return on invested capital. And fleet management is a key part of that value chain. For Uber's marketplace in particular, it's not just rides, it's delivery, it's grocery, it's freight, it's trucking. And delivery and on-road trucking are really interesting areas because on the one hand, they don't involve passengers riding in the back of vehicles, business that might be appealing when we expect it might take some time to develop public trust in a rider base to regularly use a autonomous transportation and to use it interchangeably with human-driven transportation. So delivery is a really interesting early space. The economy and the market has really started to kind of take to it. Um, people have really taken to delivery as an interesting option. Uh, it's kind of a, a change in the market behavior that we've seen um, that the pandemic has kind of accelerated. And trucking is this really interesting model. Uber has its own freight brokerage. It's called Uber Freight. And the way that autonomous trucking envisions going to market is having semi-trucks drive the long hauls between hubs, for example, the long routes on highway driving, which doesn't have the density of human actors or 
other dynamic and vulnerable road users like bikers and pedestrians while leaving the shorter last mile driving to truck drivers. And in that hub and spoke model, automation covers that middle leg and human driving is the first or the last legs. And as a tech forward broker, Uber's ability to integrate AB partners across the platform, Uber Freight can maximize all those things in a way that allows them to be a unique partner uh, to help bring the, the hub and spoke model to life and work with regulators and other stakeholders to really kind of make the transition for the autonomous trucking industry a reality. It's an impressive list for the opportunities that Uber sees for itself in really different niche markets that are not always the front of conversation when we talk about AVs. And so a lot of insight there. And you've been able to give our listeners now, the business folks, plenty to think on, and even the technologists plenty to think on, but we've left out the lawyers thus far. So let's address some of the legal issues here. Legal regulatory concerns that Uber has when it's thinking about transporting Uber passengers in self-driving cars, anything come to mind in that area that you'd like to walk us through? We don't have to leave the business people behind on this one, because I think, I think the business really does have to understand that unlocking their regulatory pathway and solving some of these really significant legal issues as we develop and deploy AVs, that's integral to making this a successful business. So maybe an analogy from the conventional automotive space makes sense here as we tackle some, some early regulatory challenges. As a customer, when we step into the back of a traditional vehicle, it's not often that we're thinking about whether a vehicle is sufficiently safe to get us to our end destination. That's because there's this robust set of rules that govern motor vehicle safety and design performance of conventional vehicles. It's called the Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, or the FMPSS. The automotive industry being so established has developed alongside a substantial ecosystem of technical bodies that develop international and regional and national standards to enable conformity and, and harmonize engineering efforts across the industry and across markets. You know, Uber has its green light hubs and even in-app resources to onboard new drivers and couriers and their vehicles to make sure that they're registered and insured, et cetera. But there's no comparable regulatory framework that establishes standards for AV safety. And with the AV sector rapidly developing and outpacing rulemaking and standard bodies lengthy processes for standards development, it gives rise to first impression questions on how to best safeguard our customers' interests and the company's interests. And that's to say that we have an opportunity to shape it from the ground up. I think everyone in the industry is interested in how this is going to take shape and they're really active in trying to find solutions that keep customers in mind, keep safety in mind, and also keep innovation in mind. So as a platform, as we can advocate for millions of riders who trust in the safety of the car that picks them up, since our riders would benefit from increased access to safe and affordable transportation. And we can establish principled standards for what it takes to onboard a third-party AV platform on platforms like Uber. But we can also encourage regulatory development that encourages clarity and trust. We all know that customers would benefit from digestible information that allows them to make informed decisions. And we know that developers would benefit from a better understanding of how to measure AV safety. No developer wants to build towards a moving target or incur technical debt and significant human effort if it only is going to be obviated by changing or unexpected regulations over time. So until regulators can develop meaningful and substantive standards, I think we can advocate for things like safety self-assessments. So far that the government has made them voluntary, but developers have been really forthcoming and providing a stream of information for comparison and public confidence in their safety systems, you know, and working towards finding AB related safety metrics and aspects of performance that even in the absence of definitive performance standards can at least allow for that meaningful comparison of AV safety profiles. You know, NHTSA has this AV test initiative 
which provides information on A-B testing and operations around the country. And we think that that kind of transparency and inviting the public into that space and visibility and inviting regulators to having visibility into, into on-ground operations is really important. There are all kinds of really specific A-B safety profiles and considerations that the industry is thinking about, making sure there's predictable motion control or that vehicles entertain a safety envelope around the vehicle to keep a certain safety considerations in mind at all times. And reasonable adherence to traffic laws. We're focusing a little bit on the federal approach here, but the states are a regulatory patchwork too. And the same steps can be taken in many of the states to increase transparency, to make uh, reporting or performance obligations clear over time. And you know we can all work together as partners in the industry and as partners with our regulators and other stakeholders to make that happen. One thing that Uber does is we're a founding member and we participate in the self-driving coalition for safer streets. And that's a standards working group. And there are many standards working groups uh, and industry coalitions that are excellent sources of knowledge and sharing. And they give the industry an opportunity to shape things like this together and responsibly. And they provide leaders visibility to inform their strategic roadmaps and product requirements and make the engineering decisions that really in the long run will kind of bring this innovation to life. Plenty of legal challenges abound uh, to be sure there. So the other challenges, the other technical or societal challenges, there's some obvious ones that come to mind, but any other unique societal or technical challenges that you'd like to walk us through? On the societal side, the supply of safe AVs can play a safe and responsible role in complementing the existing network of conventional vehicles that we have on the roads and as part of ride hailing of platforms and, and courier networks. Safer transportation really is a goal, a core goal for this autonomous vehicle industry. Many of us have heard the 94% figure. NHTSA, which aggregates data regarding vehicle accidents and safety on public roads in the US, they've published this figure annually and it hasn't changed much over the years. Unfortunately, over 94% of serious accidents are caused by human error. And autonomous vehicles, they don't get distracted. They don't text and drive. They can't be inebriated or under the influence. And what autonomous vehicles can do to change this equation is operate safely and follow the rules of the road with the ultimate goal to be safer than a human driver. And as a minimum viable product, you've probably heard most players in the industry promise that they won't release a driverless robo-taxi service or delivery service that isn't at least as safe as a human driver. And additionally, ABs, they've been kind of considered is kind of what is their place in the transportation ecosystem writ large. You know, today's DOT, Pete Buttigieg and his administration and international equivalents and other policymakers, they're linking AV deployment to broader transportation health of the communities or the states that they serve. And they're asking the industry to think about, and the governments themselves are thinking about, how we align AVs with mass transit and accessibility for people with traditional barriers to transportation and all the myriad transportation problems that governments and economies are invested in solving for their communities and for their citizens. And these are discussions that AVs are, are becoming part of. And this is all good because these are things that are already central to Uber's core business and platforms, things that our customers already care about, like safety and choice and accessibility. As we lean into those, we think that AVs can tackle many of the platform's most important value propositions. And AV fleets will become a potent complement to human drivers and couriers across all of our product verticals over time. Impressive. So any particular technical challenge that either you didn't see coming or is a bit of a surprise and it might be a big technical challenge or ones that are just so small you never even imagined? This is one of our generation's moonshots. 
it's an enormous technical undertaking. But we know that partnership and putting the right talent together and funding and then the business economics and marketplaces that are necessary to meeting the marathon challenge, that's the technical challenge. Just that little thing of meeting the demands of a moonshot that really can change the way that the world moves. I don't want to oversimplify the challenge. If we had another podcast on the back end of this and we had a host of engineers to join us and talk about perception and planning. And we had an opportunity to talk about the distinction between using radars and LIDAR versus just cameras and vision processing, which has become a debate amongst LIDAR developers or LIDAR using folks and people like Tesla who are trying to transition or purport to transition into things just like a camera-based or vision-based processing for decoding the landscape and environment around a vehicle. So that the technical challenges are real in perception and planning and working on the regulatory environment, partnership with cities, partnership with the public, partnership with consumers and customers of this product over time are all things that need to be solved hand in hand with one another. And it's not going to be tomorrow. And we don't have all of the answers uh, collectively as an industry or any one player at this point, but it's exciting to be a part of it. It really is. It's exciting to work together. It's exciting to be shaping it from the ground up at this stage of the journey. It's really fun. Well, I certainly hear your enthusiasm. It's interesting that you mentioned the moonshot of our generation. I know certainly before we started this, we were discussing NASA-level engineering and bringing it to the cars, and I think you made a good point. Yes, it's the moonshot of our generation, but this particular moonshot involves more than just a handful of astronauts. It involves millions of people traveling over and over and over and over again on these cars on an hourly, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis. And so the technical challenge there, of course, are just magnified that many times. Lando, this has been a real pleasure to have you on the cast. Are there any parting words you'd like to share with our listeners? Sure. The industry is nascent. It's such an exciting space. And the importance of being patient, responsibly developing this technology and integrating it over time in a way that's intelligent and safe is critical to its success. This is a long-term development arc. It's a long-term public benefit that we're looking to introduce to the market, introduce to the world. And just being cognizant of the fact that this is a partnership, doing it together over time is what this industry is about. And Uber's really excited to partner with other AD developers, partner with policymakers, and partner with their customers and making the best possible product to put on road from an autonomous vehicle perspective and dispatch it across all of our various verticals. The opportunities are significant. Over time, think about any one of our terrific products delivered to you via autonomy, whether that's eats or grocery offerings or the compelling possibilities of Uber for business or business to business offerings. You know, our corporate team's been really busy expanding the business by running their, the M&A playbook quite a bit lately. And that's happening everywhere. You saw Chipotle invested in Neuro a couple of weeks ago and Domino's too, right? He's partnering with them and his restaurants awakened to the possibilities of in delivery and massive grocery companies are thinking about the possibility of utilizing um, autonomous vehicle fleets to deliver their offerings to. It's just the possibilities are exciting. And there are so many ways for us to work together in this space. I'm excited to be a part of it. So let's be patient. Let's work together as an industry and the possibilities are endless. Lando Gooden, thank you very much. And as those opportunities continue to evolve, we look forward to having you back on the program to hear those updates. But certainly appreciate your time today and thank you very much. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me.